Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The It's Too Late, It's Too Soon, or Is It Tick, 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 Boom edition as we check in with the greatest leader in Bengals history, former NFL MVP Boomer Esiason. Plus, it's a new round of fun facts with Mike Brown with the Olympics going on in Tokyo. Would it surprise you to learn that the last time that Tokyo hosted the games, 57 years ago, Hall of Famer Paul Brown was among the spectators in between his coaching stops in Cleveland and Cincinnati. I'll discuss that and much more with the Bengals team president. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a fast gas pump. There's nothing worse than when you go to fill up your tank, squeeze the trigger, and the digits on the gas pump begin to turn over very slowly. A job you thought was going to be quick and easy becomes a pain in the you-know-what. On the flip side, it's highly satisfying when you begin filling the tank and those numbers start spinning so quickly that you feel like you're about to set a world record. I had that experience this week at a UDF on Beachmont Ave, not far from the Reeves Golf Course. I have dubbed it the Usain Bolt of gas pumps. Now, let's get to football. The Bengals opened training camp this week, and on Thursday, about two hours before taking the field for practice, Joe Burrow sat down for a TV taping with former Bengals quarterback Boomer Esiason. The producers of the segment came up with a great idea as the two QBs watched and discussed each other's game film. I got to listen in to quite a bit of it, and I am sure it will be a great segment. It will run on Thursday Night Football when the Bengals host Jacksonville in Week 4. This was only the second time that the two of them have seen each other in person. The first time they met, Boomer handed Burrow a Cincinnati helmet and welcomed him to the Bengals family on the CBS pregame show the day after Joe won the Heisman Trophy. After taping their segment for the NFL Network on Thursday, the 1988 NFL MVP discussed Burrow with me and my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Do you believe in an it factor for quarterbacks? And if so, does Joe have it? Yeah, you know, I do. I absolutely do. I'd like to think I had it, <laughs> whatever it was. But I know, I know what the it factor is. The it factor is when you walk into the room, there's an immediate respect that's accorded you uh, because of the way you carry yourself both on the field and in the meeting rooms and your dedication to the sport and then of course your relationships that you have so think about the way that he played last year as a rookie think about how he handled the offense and everything else he's making checks at the line of scrimmage he's calling for his own number on, on a quarterback draw when he reads a defense um Iberflus tried to flush him out with his own blitz and he stood in there knowing that he had enough blockers and hit t higgins down the sideline those are things i was incapable of doing I just faked it, <laughs> but he doesn't, you know, he's, he's the real deal. You can tell, and you can tell that he has that part of it physically. And I think his mental game is really about as sharp as, you know, you would expect. What's the, the first time you met him when, when he came to CBS for the Heisman Trophy, you know, ceremony type deal the show, what, what, what was your first impression of him? What was it about him that stood out to you? I was surprised how big he was. 
he didn't look that big on TV, right. maybe right. because he was playing at LSU and he's playing against other big teams and he was on a big team himself, but I was shocked at how big he was. I thought he was two inches smaller than that. And seeing him now from that was probably about, what, 18, 19 months ago, maybe 20 months ago. Um, he's a man now. He's a full-fledged man. So he looks great. And uh, I know he was dedicated this offseason to overcoming the, the knee injury, which is another part of the responsibility of you as a player and, of course, the ultimate leader of the team. So he's dedicated himself to be ready to go 100%, and I think all the players will respond to that. So with the segment you recorded today, that's the longest amount of time you've spent with him so far. What stood out in that conversation? He's pretty relaxed. I mean, he could do TV right now if he wanted to. <laughs> I'm like, what? You just did that in one take. Hold on. <laughs> it's not supposed to be that easy. But I guess this generation's a little bit more advanced than our generation is. Um, he knows his stuff. You know, he knows his players. He knows where credit needs to be given. You could tell that, you know, he wasn't sitting there extolling his own virtues. He was talking about his center. He's talking about his wide receiver, talking about his running back. Look at this block here by this offensive tackle. I mean, so he loves his coaches. And you could tell that, you know, that part of him, um, that is the biggest question mark for every coaching staff and every organization is easily answered. And he has it. He definitely has it. The thing that uh, a trait that, you and he have in common, in my opinion. Um, you both have unbelievable people skills, and you make everybody feel important. You know, I mean, there's not one guy that's n involved in the mix that you don't make feel like he's the most important guy, and his contribution is the most important. That's a hell of a talent to have. Hell yeah, it is probably the most important talent, especially when you're in a huddle with 10 guys. Game's on the line. They're looking at you. They know whether or not you have what it takes to call the right play, to get the team into the right play, to make sure you have the right pass protection, communicating with your other 10 players within five-second sound bites at the line of scrimmage, whether it be hand signals, whether it be yelling something at the, at the top of your lungs, um, but just generally leading your football team. So he, um, it's an attribute that you want to be able to check the boxes of, of a player so he's got the size he's got the arm strength he can run uh, and now he has the most important aspect to who he is and that's the dedication to the game that everybody else feeds off of but he does it in a way that is not condescending which is really important for a leader to carry himself that way so if <laughs> I know one thing he's a better player than I ever was already you know I can see it you think that really yes I do think it and he's a much more accurate passer than I was but he's also fearless. He's not afraid to throw the ball down the field, which is in today's game is going to be valuable for them to move forward and to be successful. I, I think he's going to be – he'll be in the running for comeback player of the year, I believe. Even though he played 10 games, he still got hurt. He still had to overcome an injury here this offseason. And I think they have a, like an underrated, sneaky kind of talent here. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're going 12-5. and five, But I think that you know they're going to be in the mix because these other teams in this division aren't perfect. They all have scars or warts somewhere along the line. And, uh, you know, Cleveland is, is probably the best team, I think. But that doesn't mean that Cincinnati can't sneak up on them as well. Ken Anderson told me last week that Burrow's going to be better than he ever was. You're saying that he already is. I think that might be a little <laughs> bit of an exaggeration. But that's pretty extraordinary that the two best quarterbacks in this franchise's history have seen a guy play 10 games 
at the NFL level and are already saying those types of things. Well, the only reason I said that is because Carson Palmer told me that. <laughs> and he's another one. Uh, you know, Jordan worked with uh, Joe a lot um, when he was coming out in college, and Carson told me, Boomer, this kid is great. And he was not wishing for the Bengals to, to draft him. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, he's from this area. He's, this is the perfect guy for this team. You can't miss. Um, and I think we all think that because, you know, look, he won a Heisman won the national championship. So his, his arc of success is far ahead of where we were at this time in our, in our careers. And I think that's why we all feel this way. So it's, it's a good thing to feel this way. There's a lot of pressure on the young man, but he seems like to absorb it. Seems like he absorbs it very well and probably fuels him to be even greater. And hopefully he does. I, oh, we all want a, a Super Bowl championship. That would be great. And uh, maybe that would kick off this whole new kind of reflecting back on the great players of this organization, which has been long overdue. When I played in the 70s and 80s, um, the game was one way. When you guys were playing in the late 80s and into the 90s, that Super Bowl era, it was a lot different. How different is today's game from when you played? More wide open now than ever before. You know, the rules are such where offenses really need to be able to throw the ball down the field to big wide receivers. And this is exactly what the Bengals have. They're loaded uh, at these positions. Um, Jamar Chase, you know, has the potential to be rookie of the year. That's how good. You know, I think that this team can be offensively, especially with Joe and Jamar and their history at LSU. But, you know, back in our day, you know, it was more run-oriented. I still think you have to run the ball effectively. You still have to be a more physical team than the team you're playing against. You can only, especially in outdoor weather uh, stadiums like we have at Paul Brown Stadium, you, you have to be able to run the football. It can't always be about throwing the ball 45 times and completing, you know, you know, 35 passes for 400 yards because you're going to end up losing those games if the other team is controlling the football. So I think there still has to be balance, but there's definitely an uptick in the big play capabilities of the offense since we were playing. Final question for me. What do you think the biggest challenge is he faces coming back from his knee injury? Just trusting that he's 100%. You know, that first couple of times he gets hit, I'm sure – Every running back will tell you that. Every wide receiver will tell you that. Anybody who's ever played and had a knee injury uh, will tell you that. So it's going to be trusting that it's stable and that he can that he can take a hit. I think he feels pretty comfortable about it just talking to him. But that's probably the biggest thing. And I bet you he's itching to get on the field. You know, he sat there and he told me he watched all of Justin Herbert's games and how much fun it was to watch Justin Herbert. Uh, he wants to be that guy again. And uh, I know he can't wait to get back on the field. So... Um, I think he's going to be ready and raring to go, and it's going to be fun to watch. A quick question. I have one more um, a, a follow-up to what you're talking about, get hit. Everybody has boxes to check after surgery and getting the hit. That one hit is the final one, get up, yeah, I'm good. Do you think he should play in the preseason? He seems like he wants to take some snaps in the preseason, and the organization doesn't want any part of it. What do you, what do you think, Boomer? You know, I think uh, I would think like him I'd want to play. Yeah. I wanted to play in the preseason. I wanted to get hit. Yeah. I wanted to feel the rush of the game, even though the game didn't mean anything. You're still out there with your teammates. You're calling your plays, even though they may be the most basic of plays. But you still want to feel like you can go out there and do it. And I hope they let him play at some point. 
I'm not saying that they should. I doubt the third preseason game any starter is playing. So it's probably going to be the second preseason game. I would think at least give him a couple series or give him a quarter or give him two quarters and just let him wet his feet, let him know that that knee's okay, and let him take some hits. I mean, it's part of the game. That's part of the whole situation. And, look, he's been out now for, what, eight months, I guess, or nine months? Nine months. Yeah, nine months. So I I, I think it's, uh, it's he's ready to go. And he's not a running back. He's a he's a quarterback, and you know he needs to feel the the pressure and feel the pocket and and live hitting. So that's why I would want him to play, and I know that I would want to play. Me too. I mean, I said the same thing as players all want to. They want to get before the regular season starts. You want to take that hit and get up and say, eh, "Final box checked. Everything's good." All right. My last question. I can't talk to you without talking about Gunner. Yeah. And and we're all dads here. What you've done as a father chokes me up. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And your son, um, you've extended his life. You've given him a better quality of life. He just got married. I mean, boomer. It's unbelievable what you've done. You know, I uh, I will tell you, it's uh, probably my proudest moment is watching him walk down the aisle. But right prior to that, a lot of people didn't know that uh, it was on Father's Day weekend. I don't know if they set that up. I'm not really sure because Darcy, his wife, is really close with her her dad as well. And the Thursday night before the wedding, he and Darcy handed me my Father's Day gift, and it was a sonogram in a, in a plexiglass uh, frame. And I started bawling. I, I've never yeah. been so emotional in my life. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Gunner, because of cystic fibrosis, if you want to be the biological father, they have to go in and they have to take your sperm out of your testicles, and, which, is not a very, which is not easy at all. But you have to be dedicated to do this. And he is, and obviously is dedicated, and his wife was going through IVF on the other side for the woman, which is not easy either. And they had to go through all the genetic testing and everything else, and they had four eggs. And I'm only saying this publicly because they've written about it and they've talked about it. Uh, They placed one in. They didn't know whether it was going to be male or female. And then after about four months, they found out that it was a baby boy. And I've always said this about everything that I've ever done in the world of cystic fibrosis, that my only two goals are, one, that my son outlive me, and the second is that he becomes a father himself. And when they handed me that thing, I just, I couldn't talk. My, my daughter was laughing at me. And uh, that whole weekend uh, was like a blur to me. And it's everything that I could have ever asked for. That is tremendous. Amazing. Yeah, this is such a treat. Thank you so much for your time. Fun, we always guys. appreciate it. It was fun, it's fun to see you guys. Since its inception, the Boomer Esiason Foundation has raised more than $115 million to support research toward a cure for cystic fibrosis, as well as programs directly benefiting the CF community. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. At the beginning of the week, just before training camp got underway, The Bengals held their annual media luncheon where Zach Taylor and his coordinators discussed the upcoming season with Cincinnati area reporters. It's also the one time each year the team president, Mike Brown, does an extensive series of interviews, including a few offbeat questions from me. Time for a new round of fun facts with Bengals president, Mike Brown. And Mike, as we record this interview, the Olympics are going on in Tokyo. The last time the games were there in 1964, your father wasn't coaching at the time, and he attended. Did you ever talk to him about him making that trip, what events he watched, people he met, et cetera? 
I did, and he was very impressed with the nation of Japan. He came back and said how uh, ordered and cleanly everything was. The people were, uh, they behaved towards uh, visitors in a way that you would want. Uh, they they won him over, and uh, he was a guy that was in the service during World War II, <laughs> so uh, that uh, just speaks to the Japanese nation. That was the 1964 Summer Olympics. In 68, Tommy Smith won the gold medal in the 200 meters and famously did a black power salute on the medal podium with bronze medalist John Carlos, Shortly after that, Tommy joined the Bengals, and he was with this franchise for three years. His only catch went for 41 yards, and he dislocated his shoulder on that play. What are your memories of Tommy Smith? I uh, remember him fondly. He was a nice young man. Uh, He was the fastest sprinter in the world at the time. But uh, oddly, in football speed is measured in a shorter distance and uh, his takeoff was uh, not as fast as uh, his uh, ending spurt if you will Mm -hmm. which was phenomenal once he got up and running he had this mammoth stride and he just ran away from people but over 40 yards we had uh, a number of uh, players who could match him and uh, that was something that registered with me because it showed how quickness counts in football. We uh, believed at the time, and I believe still, that uh, people have the right to have their say. He uh, did what he did. I don't know how much planning went into it, but it made such an impact. Uh, It was incredible. Uh, But it... uh, didn't seem hostile. Uh, it was more a statement about uh, we're here, part of everything. Uh, don't uh, forget us. I, I uh, took it in that sense, and uh, all I can say is once more, as a person, uh, he was uh, a wonderful young man. I know you love baseball and watch Reds games regularly. Are there any other sports that you enjoy watching? The NBA, golf, the Olympics, anything else? Pretty much anything. Uh, <laughs> I, I like watching sports. Uh, I uh, uh, watch golf. I find those guys incredible. The pressure on them is just uh, something that uh, uh, has to be seen to believe, and they uh, have to bear up under it, and they do. I uh, watch the uh, NBA games. My uh, uh, prospective grandson-in-law is uh, affiliated uh, with uh, NBA basketball. And uh, uh, he, uh, on occasions, tolerates my questions and helps me understand uh, what's going on. But they're incredible athletes. Uh, They have this uh, huge ability to run, jump, shoot at uh, far out distances. I don't know how they do it. Uh, They're fun to watch. 
We're doing fun facts with Bengals president Mike Brown. The Cleveland Indians are in the news for choosing a new name, the Guardians. The Browns, of course, were named for your father. Did he like that, or did it make him a little uncomfortable? This one will amaze you. I never talked to him about it. (laughs) And as far as I know, neither did anybody else. It was uh, a dead topic. That's what the name was. And uh, I do know that there were suggestions by some that it was named after Joe Lewis, uh, the Brown Bomber. And uh, I don't think so is all I can say there. Uh, the, the story was that they ran a contest in a Cleveland paper to name the team, and they came out with the name Panthers as the winner. Uh, my father felt that Panthers had already been taken by the University of Pittsburgh, uh, and he didn't want to uh, have the same name. Uh, then uh, they uh, paid the guy the uh, award for picking the winner and chose another winner <laughs> instead. And he did that. Uh, uh, and uh, if you find out, let me know why. <laughs> when Cincinnati got a franchise, was there any talk of taking the Browns name in Cincinnati? Well, it was in Cleveland at the time, obviously. And what happened there was uh, unlike what happened in Cleveland recently with the Indians, where they had some sort of massive study to come up with the name Guardians for the future. Uh, you can say that's a great choice or not, but uh, ours was very simple. There was a luncheon. It was um, my father and John Sawyer. Uh, Dave Gamble was there, and that was it. And they discussed how to name the team. And uh, my dad said, well, someone thought we should name it the Rhinos because that would tie into the German uh, background in Cincinnati, Rhine. And it's an animal, big and powerful. And my dad said his sister, my aunt, had uh, called him and told him, Paul, whatever you do, don't name that team the Rhinos. A rhino is a big, dumb, slow animal, and you don't want your team known in that way so uh, they settled on Tiger Uh, John and Dave both went to Princeton that was all right with them Uh, my dad said it was all right with him he had coached the Maslin Tigers for nine years and he said I know how to use that uh, kind of uh, symbol and uh, since I didn't have a vote and was just sitting there I said nothing so that's how the name came to be Among your father's many innovations was the use of game film as a teaching tool. You rarely miss a practice, I know that. What about watching game film? Is that something that you enjoy? Well, I am curious about it. Um, I uh, take time to look at uh, our game film. Uh, I do it after every game, and uh, then I go home. Uh, It... uh, satisfies uh, curiosity. You you, uh, build up uh, false uh, ideas of what really happened and then when you run it back and forth a few times and look at it closely 
the reality of it uh, comes across and you accept it for what it is. I, I uh, uh, am astonished anymore at how quickly uh, we uh, have that available. It's uh, a nice thing in my book. Seattle coach Pete Carroll turns 70 in September. Bill Belichick is 69. Your father was 67 when he retired, and the team went 11-3 and in his final season. That's the best winning percentage in franchise history. Why did he stop at 67, and did you try to talk him out of it? Believe me, I would not have tried to talk him out of anything that he uh, had decided to do. I would have just said, yes, sir, and uh, marched on. He uh, uh, called me over and told me he was going to uh, retire as a coach. He thought it was time. Uh, He uh, was aware of some other guys who were active and he thought stayed too long and he didn't want to just front it was the uh, term he used and uh, it was uh, a decision that uh, he uh, wrestled with but uh, he he felt it uh, was uh, proper time and did what he thought was best for him, his reputation, and for the team's future. We had good people. We had Bill Johnson and Bill Walsh as coaches on the team. We had people to turn to. This is the anniversary of the 1981 Super Bowl team, and if you polled fans on the greatest game in Bengals history, the overwhelming winning answer would be the Freezer Bowl. January of 82, air temperature 9 below, wind chill 59 below beat the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. San Diego owner Gene Klein tried to get you to move that game to San Diego, correct? Yes, he uh, uh, ran into me upstairs uh, in the press box area close to it and uh, had this good idea of uh, (laughs) postponing the game and moving it to uh, San Diego because it was so cold no one should want to have a game in this temperature, should they? Well, uh, that was an easy one for me. (laughs) We saw that as a considerable advantage. We were able to play in that kind of weather. It fit us. Uh, They had Fouts, a top quarterback, who probably would have played better in the sunshine. It uh, was uh, uh, something that amused me at the time and uh, still does, but I don't fault him for asking. Doesn't hurt to ask, that's for sure. Did you have any issues that day along the lines of, did your car start, did the pipes freeze at Riverfront, anything like that? Well, we went through a cold time in Cincinnati. I don't know much about weather, but for two or three years around that Super Bowl year, the weather was just, the winters were just colder than here, colder here than they uh, have been otherwise or in my lifetime here. Uh, And uh, you got used to things. Uh, You really did. Uh, The the, uh, (laughs) You'd get icicles in the uh, living room <laughs> you would uh, it was just phenomenally cold day in and day out to his credit Forrest Gregg was our coach and he uh, had uh, played up at Green Bay that was his background 
and he did not give in to the cold, and he would not allow the players to give in to the cold. We practiced just as normal. We did everything just as though it were sunny and uh, 80 degrees. And it was uh, leadership he generated on that, that uh, our, our players began to see it as uh, uh, an advantage. Uh, something that uh, they could manage and the, whoever we were going to play would have problems with. And I think they were right on that. You and Forrest were great friends. Uh, you and your wives socialized together. What would people be surprised to learn about Forrest Gregg? Well, he was seen as a, uh, a big, strong guy, and he was that, and he was seen as a tough guy, a demanding. Uh, with the football team, he was that. But away from the football team, in private, uh, he was just a big pussycat. He was a wonderful guy. I, I uh, really uh, delighted in his company. I loved the guy. We were good friends when he was here. And uh, I think back in those times with great fondness. You've said before, you consider that 81 team to be the best in franchise history. What was it about that team that makes you feel that way? Oh, we had all the pieces, and, and uh, we were ahead of the curve and some of the things we did, ahead uh, of the wave. It, it, it uh, was a combination of both. Uh, we had a good quarterback in Ken Anderson. There, there wasn't much lacking on that team. So when we lined up against people, uh, we were confident. And uh, unfortunately, in the Super Bowl, we lost to the uh, 49ers, I honestly think uh, uh, we were the better team. I, I felt that. It just, I still feel that. It, it, we fumbled the ball away. Uh, things happened. But if we played them 10 times, uh, I still believe we would have won our, uh, our the majority of them. This has been a treat, as always. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Okay, I appreciate uh, visiting with you. My thanks to Boomer and Mike, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. <laughs>